Well, I want to begin this morning with a good old top 10 list. You love these top 10 lists, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I thought you did. Here we go. Here are the top 10 characteristics that a woman looks for in a man. Here they are right here. Number 10, he's got to be handsome. Number 9, charming. Number 8, financially successful. Number 7, a caring listener. Number 6, witty. Number 5, in good shape. Number 4, dresses with style. Number 3, appreciates the finer things in life. Number 2, is full of thoughtful surprises. Number 1, is an imaginative, romantic lover. There you have it. Now, I need to qualify this list. For what I've just read to you is the top 10 characteristics that a woman looks for in a man when she's 22 years old. Okay? Because when she turns 32, she has to alter her list and sort of adjust her expectations. Here are the top 10 traits a 32-year-old woman looks for in a man. Number 10, nice looking with hair on the head. <laughs> Number 9, opens car doors, holds chairs. Number 8, has enough money for a nice dinner. Number 7, listens more than talks. Number 6, laughs at your jokes. Number 5, carries bags of groceries with ease. Number four, owns at least one tie. Number three, appreciates a good home-cooked meal. Number two, remembers birthdays and anniversaries. And number one, seeks romance once a week. <laughs> but what about a 42-year-old woman? My, what are the top ten characteristics that a 42-year-old woman is looking for in a man? Number ten, not too ugly. Bald head, okay. Number nine, doesn't drive off until she's in the car. Number eight, works steady, splurges on dinner out occasionally. Number seven, nods head when she's talking to him. Number six, usually remembers punchlines of his own jokes. Number five, is in good enough shape to rearrange the furniture. Number four, wears a shirt that covers his stomach. Number three, has enough energy to twist the lids off jars. Number two, remembers to put the toilet seat down. And number one, shaves most weekends. Well, of course, by now you sort of know where this train of thought is going, don't you? What are the characteristics that a 52-year-old woman looks for in a man? Oh boy, this hits close to home. Number 10, keeps the hair in his nose and ears trimmed. <laughs> Number nine, doesn't belch or scratch in public. Number eight, doesn't borrow money too often. Number seven, doesn't nod off to sleep when she is venting about her day. Number six, doesn't retell the same joke too many times. Number five, is in good enough shape to get off the couch on weekends. Number four, usually wears matching socks and fresh underwear, usually. Number three, appreciates a good TV dinner. Number two, remembers her name on occasion. And number one, shaves some weekends. Well, what does a 62-year-old woman look for in a man? Number 10, doesn't scare small children. 
remembers where the bathroom is located. Doesn't require much money for upkeep. Only snores slightly when sleeping. Remembers why he's laughing. Is in good enough shape to stand up without assistance. Usually wears clothes. Likes soft foods. Remembers where he left his teeth. And remembers that it is the weekend. And finally, here's what a 72-year-old woman is looking for in a man. Number 10, he's breathing. And number one, he doesn't miss the toilet. Well, ladies, I hate to tell you this, but Joseph of Nazareth was not the type of man a woman looks for at any age. Joseph wasn't charming enough and successful enough and sexy enough to catch the eye of a 22-year-old girl. Not many 42-year-old gals are looking for a blue-collar small business owner from a tiny village with no ambition to go beyond a carpenter's salary. Joseph wasn't even a catch for a 72-year-old woman. He didn't live long enough to have any golden years. He died before he could join AARP. Of course, everyone knows that women like carrying conversation. One of the chief beasts I hear from wives is that their husbands don't chit-chat enough. Well, neither was Joseph an engaging conversationalist. In fact, in the gospel accounts, he never utters a single word. Joseph is Mary's silent partner. Joseph did come with a royal pedigree. He descended from the house of David, but at the time it was more of a hassle and an inconvenience than a feather in his cap. I mean, Joseph's family, family ties had forced Mary to embark on a long donkey ride all the way down to Bethlehem to register for the census. And let me tell you, any man willing to camp out with his expectant wife in a stable I mean, even in desperate straits, that's not a fellow who's fond of candlelight dinners and weekend escapes. You see, Joseph was more pragmatic than he was romantic. I'm certain most women would not have been satisfied if they had been in Mary's sandals and discovered that they were pledged to be married to a man like Joseph. They would think, I can do better. I deserve more. I know this because it seems to have been the church's response to Joseph. You see, rather than appreciate Joseph for the man that he was, down through the centuries, the church has attempted to embellish his nondescript resume. We've taken a humble man, a simple man, a nothing flashy, Joe the plumber type of man, and we've tried to make him larger than life. Did you know that in Roman Catholicism, Joseph is the patron saint of families? and pregnant women, and travelers, and immigrants, and craftsmen, and engineers, and workers in general, and even the war against communism. Don't know how he got that gig, but he did. He's also the saint who stands against doubt and hesitation. He's the patron saint of the whole new world, as well as countries like China, and Canada, and Mexico, and Austria, and Belgium, and Croatia, and even Vietnam. Roman Catholics believe he prays for cities like Florence, Italy, in Buffalo, New York, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Apparently, Joseph gets around. All sorts of towns and rivers and churches and hospitals and universities are named St. Joseph. In fact, the most common place name in all the world is San Jose. 
That's Spanish for St. Joe. That means Burt Bacharach's hit song, Do You Know the Way to San Jose, was actually named after Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus. Hey, references to Joseph keep popping up all over the place. And not only do they pop up, you're also liable to find Joseph by digging down. You see, whenever America goes through a decline in the housing market, ads start to appear on the TV for St. Joseph statues. It's supposedly the sure cure for selling your house. Joseph is also the patron saint of home sellers. For $13.95, you can purchase, even you can purchase, an eight-inch statue of Joseph. You're supposed to bury it upside down in your front yard, and it ensures the sale of your house. For an added $7.50, you can get the book, St. Joseph, My Real Estate Agent. Now, hey, hey, <laughs> I believe that Joseph is a down-to-earth guy. I, I know Joseph is a down-to-earth guy, but this is really ridiculous. You know, over the years, lots and lots of attention has been given to this humble carpenter from the village of Nazareth. Joseph has become the source of superstition and veneration, and I think he would recoil at both. I'll bet you a nose-to-the-grindstone guy like Joseph doesn't even care if he knows the way to San Jose. One year, I spoke on Joseph at the Calvary Chapel Christmas tea, the ladies' Christmas tea, and Kathy kept advising me uh, prior to the event, just keep it simple. Just make it simple. Well, that's not really a difficult task when you're talking about Joseph of Nazareth. For he was a simple man. Actually, I see Joseph and Mary as polar opposites. Mary was barely out of middle school. She was a young girl with an old soul. There was a depth to her relationship with God that transcended age. Luke describes her reaction to the angel's startling news. The Spirit will overshadow her. She'll conceive the Son of God. He'll be great and called the Son of the Highest. He'll sit on the throne of David. I mean, this was every Jewish girl's dream come true. I mean, Mary had been chosen to mother the Messiah. And how did Mary react? I mean, this news will alter her life forever. Her wedding plans will change at present. And yet, she never shows the slightest hesitation. Mary is willing to go with the flow. She gets caught up in this miracle. I'm always astonished by the immediacy of her acceptance and the totality of her surrender. She tells God, let it be to me according to your word. Wow. On the other hand, a pragmatic Joseph, man, he had to think this all through, didn't he? I mean, Joe was more caught up in the reality of the implications than he was the romance of the news. He started thinking, how can I possibly believe such a preposterous story? Why did Mary betray me? Who's this child's father? Why did Mary lie to me if she said she loved me? How could I have been so wrong about this girl? These were the thoughts swirling through her mind, his mind. I mean, it was a brutal few weeks for the patron saint against doubt and hesitation. You see, Joseph was a carpenter by trade. His partners were a level in a builder's square. The carpenter's motto is measure twice, 
cut once. And you can be sure Joseph measured his next move. I mean, he had to work through what had happened. It couldn't be ignored or forgotten. And after a season of contemplation, justice and mercy shook hands on a solution. Rather than stone Mary, he would just send her away to another town where she could begin a new life with her child. Just sort of start over privately. And that's what Joseph would have arranged had his good intentions not been interrupted by another miracle. This time, an angel spoke to Joseph. Mary's story was preposterous, (laughs) but it was also true. And God was enrolling Joseph in the miracle. He had a part to play in this mission impossible. As you well know, all marriages are teams. They're, They're teamwork. Marriages are made up of equal partners with separate and diverse roles. This is true of every husband and wife, but this was especially true of Joseph and Mary, the Joseph and Mary team. I mean, in the Christmas story, Joseph's role and Mary's role are very, very different. I mean, Mary focused on the spiritual, miraculous aspects of the first Christmas. You remember when she journeys to the hills of Judah to visit her cousin Elizabeth. It's an emotional time from the second she arrives. The special baby Elizabeth is carrying leaps in her womb. She's filled with the Holy Spirit and she blesses Mary. And Mary in turn erupts in song. She praises and magnifies God. You see, Mary sees the mystery and the marvel of Christmas. Whereas Joseph saw the sacrifice and the service. Mary got giddy about Christmas. Joseph got gritty. Mary was full of rejoicing. Joseph ended up grounded in responsibility. You see, Joseph would have never been cast to play the leading role in a romantic comedy. I mean, he was a bit boring at best. But God turned Mary's world on its ear. And he knew that Joseph's rock-solid steadiness was what she would need. One more time, here's what a 22-year-old woman looks for in a man. Handsome, charming, financially successful, a caring listener, witty, in good shape, dresses with style, appreciates the finer things in life, is full of thoughtful surprises, is an imaginative romantic lover. And Joseph doesn't match a single characteristic on that list. He doesn't. But here's what Joseph did bring to the table. Love, commitment, honesty, loyalty, sacrifice, protection, faithfulness, responsibility, and most importantly, obedience to God. In fact, obedience was Joseph's hallmark. After Joseph's dream and the angel's instructions were told, then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. Listen to those words. Joseph did as the Lord commanded him. Eight days later, after the baby had been born, Joseph and Mary, they took their baby boy up to the Jewish temple to have him circumcised and give him a name. And again, Joseph obeys. He follows orders to the T. He resists the urge to name the boy Joey Jr. You know he had to be thinking that. No, he names his son Jesus, just as the angel had instructed. 
Later, when King Herod's hatred began to boil and violence was in the air, Joseph had a dream warning. Get out of Dodge. Flee to Egypt. Even though he and Mary had just signed a new lease on a house, he and Mary's first home together, he still never flinched. Joseph immediately obeyed. A few years later, when Herod had died and the danger had passed, again, the angel contacted Joseph and ordered him back to Nazareth. Joseph woke up from the dream, packed up his family, filled up his tank, and he was on the road in 24 hours. You see, Joseph was always quick to obey. Granted, Joseph was no Hugh Grant. I mean, never in a thousand years would he have starred in a chick flick. Yet we would all agree that Joseph had a strategic part in the greatest drama in the history of man. Jesus is earthly father. Earthly father of God. That's a pretty heavy role, don't you think? I don't think there's a grander gig in the Christmas story. Joseph wasn't sexy or charismatic or charming or suave or articulate or witty or funny. Yet God found a man who listened to heaven. And then he did as he was told. In God's eyes, that made Joseph no ordinary Joe. Joseph loved Mary. Even more so, he loved God. And he blended the two loves of his life. Joseph loved God by loving Mary. Even when it was inconceivable, and it was inconvenient, and they seemed so incompatible, Joseph's love and commitment to his wife took shape in a couple of very profound ways. For one, Joseph covered Mary. And two, Joseph carried Mary. You know, in 1 Peter 4 verse 8, God instructs us, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Notice this. Love covers You know, this means that love can shelter us from the effects and the impact of either real sins or perceived sins or forgiven sins. Love is always merciful to sinners. You see, love fights against the stigma associated with a perceived sin. Love will try to minimize the consequences of a forgiven sin. Love covers a multitude of sins. Mary suffered for a lifetime from a perceived sin. I mean, everyone outside of her immediate circle assumed that Jesus was illegitimate. She bore this unwarranted stigma. Over 30 years later, after his birth, Jesus is in the temple one day when his enemies question his parentage. I mean, Mary was innocent, yet the stigma of her pregnancy had cast a shadow of doubt over her reputation that never vanished. The only relief Mary received was Joseph's willingness to take her to be his wife. Give her child his name. Take them both into his family. You don't treat an adulteress with that sort of kindness. Joseph was the one who covered her shame. And Joseph's love carried Mary in more ways than one. Oh, down the aisle to be his bride. On the back of a donkey across harsh terrain. From that burrow to a bed of straw up temple steps to meet Simeon and Anna, through the front door of a Bethlehem home that would entertain Magi, to a refuge in Egypt and back. He even carried her to Jerusalem, where they realized they'd left their 12-year-old son in the temple. 
I mean, Joseph's firm resolve, his unwavering devotion carried this woman in his heart until finally his heart stopped beating and his arms dropped limp. Jesus' adopted father never saw his son walk through the door of history and begin his ministry. And yet Joseph carried Jesus to its threshold. Hey, love isn't always cutesy, cuddly, and creative, and conversational. And it never stacks up to the glamorized and romanticized notions we place on it. But real love, it always covers. And real love always carries. You see, real love is Joe love. It's rooted in responsibility. And it's lived out in deeds. Annually, uh, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary checks their website for the most commonly searched for words. They release a word of the year each, each year, around this time of the year. In 2010, the word was austerity. In 2009, it was admonish. The top word for 2008 was bailout. It seems that Merriam-Webster's uh, Dictionary's word of the year has become a sign of the times. And guess what? The word for 2011, it's pragmatic. Apparently, the editors at Webster's think that in light of the logjam in Congress and the inability to lower our nation's debt, the public is looking for pragmatic leaders, practical, how-to people that know how to get tangible results. If that's the case, then Joseph of Nazareth is the man of the hour. Joseph wasn't flashy. He wasn't a smooth talker. He wouldn't have done well in a debate. But when God needed a man to take care of his son and Jesus, his mother, he chose a pragmatic, down-to-earth, manly man like Joseph. He chose a guy who could get the job done. One who was all about results. He chose a man that he knew would obey no matter the circumstances. None of Mary's girlfriends would have mistaken Joseph for a heartthrob. But no one was more committed to the will of God. He covered and he carried his family. Joseph was no ordinary Joe. God trusted him to be obedient. And here's the application of today's message and of Joseph's life to our lives. There are two lessons that I hope you take from today's sermon into this Christmas, into your life this Christmas. First, we need to appreciate the Josephs in our own life. And then second, we need to be a Joseph in someone else's life. You know, I think a sad truth is that the world's Josephs so often get taken for granted. I mean, think about it. Joseph is the most underappreciated character in the Christmas story. All the kids in the nativity play, they clamor to be shepherds and wise men, even barnyard animals, before they want to be Joseph. You know, our world today is so hypocritical. It denies the virgin birth, then tries to turn Mary into a single mom. There are even nativity sets today without a Joseph. It's as if Mary would have gotten along fine without a man in her life. That's certainly not God's perspective. Joseph played a crucial role. 
this morning, I want to speak on behalf of all the Josephs in the world, all the plotters. The Lord knows they'd never speak for themselves. Hey, I want to give a shout out to all the people who don't have to do a touchdown dance every time they score. The people who go about the will of God steadily and faithfully without seeking or demanding a lot of attention. These are the non-flashy folks. These are the people who just get the job done. They obey. These are the Josephs in our lives. Understand the measure of a Christian isn't the number of verses you memorize or the eloquence of your prayers or even the visions that you see. I mean, Mary, she's the one who had the epiphanies and erupted into the doxologies. And we admire her spirituality. But Joseph was the one who made sure it all happened according to God's plan. He's the one who loaded up the donkey and got married to Bethlehem on time. Mary was blessed by God. Joseph, he was obedient to God. And here's my question for you this morning. Who are the Josephs in your life? Your spouse? A friend? A pastor? A co-worker? A family member? Who are the folks who don't just talk about God, but who obey Him? Ladies, maybe your husband is a Joseph who covers you and carries you. Now I know he doesn't read all of those articles in the women's magazines that you want him to read. Tips for stimulating conversation. Keys to unlocking your wife's heart. Romantic anniversaries. But the old boy doesn't have time. I mean, he's too busy holding down a job and paying bills and coaching Little League. When he does read, it's usually his Bible or some instruction manual. You know, it's not fair what women today expect from their husbands. They want it all. They want this strong provider and defender who also has this soft, sensitive, touchy-feely side to him, you know. What some wives really want is a girlfriend with male parts. That's what they really want. Now, hey, I'm sure that Joseph told Mary he loved her, yet there's no record of such verbiage in the Scripture. Hey, all we see in Scripture are his deeds. He sacrificed and served and proved his commitment by loving actions. And ladies, this is how good men often say love, through loving actions. They love by doing they demonstrate love by getting the job done. You should be thankful for your Joseph. Whenever I think of Josephs in my life, I think of my dad. Like Joseph, dad isn't educated or wealthy. He's a blue-collar kind of guy. Even likes to work with wood. But you know, my dad has always been there for me. He has never vacated his post. I also think of my wife. Over the years, she has tolerated so much drama out of me. And yet she continues to love me unconditionally. She's been a pillar while I've been a pinball. There's also some Joseph-like pastors that I know. Hey, they would never wow a crowd with their oratory, but they're faithful day in and day out to work, to do the work that God calls them to do. They're carrying their congregations to Bethlehem. You see, this Christmas, 
Why don't you tell the Joseph in your life just how much he or she is appreciated? And then, why don't you try to be a Joseph in someone else's life? Be a hands-on problem solver. Do something practical to help another person get to where they need to be in the will of God, to their Bethlehem. As we've noted, Joseph wasn't particularly talented or gifted. In one sense, he was just an ordinary Joe. But when convinced of the truth and called on by God, he stepped up. Without reservations, Joseph stepped up. Why don't you ask God to show you a life this Christmas in which you can step up? Last week I read of a working man in Omaha, Nebraska who walked into the local Kmart with his three small kids. He was there to make a payment on the Christmas toys he had on layaway. That's when an older woman stepped up to the counter and paid his bill, just paid it for him. She said later that when she was a child, her dad had put toys on layaway at the local Kmart and could rarely get them paid for by Christmas Day. Her name probably wasn't Joseph, but she certainly acted like a Josephine. This Christmas, maybe you can step up and befriend a person who lacks a friend. Befriend somebody who's run off all their friends with their selfish behavior. Hey, maybe you can just love them anyway. Maybe you can look past their sin. And love them anyway. You can love them Joseph style. You see when we find a person who's spotted and stained. And we cover them with our mercy. When we find a person who's weak and vulnerable. And we carry them to a stable place. We're being a Joseph. We're showing them God's love. The life of Joseph teaches us that love covers. And love carries. Hey, this Christmas, why don't you prove that you are no ordinary Joe? Why don't you show the world that the love of Jesus lives in you? You can do so by being grateful for the Josephs in your life and by being a Joseph in the life of someone you know. None of us are ordinary Joes if we know Jesus, and yet we can learn from one. We can learn and put in practice the lessons we learn from Joseph.